Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast for the final time of this season. It's me, Matt Broker, joined by Gitto Llewellyn and Steve Carroll. Evening both. Evening. Evening. And what could be an absolutely momentous uh, moment for the Swans, where unbelievably for the three of us, as we talked every week through this season, or most weeks certainly, uh, we find ourselves 90 minutes away from the Premier League. Uh, I mean, a closest get, though, I suppose we've got to, 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 to making this uh, prediction, if you like, was us saying it feels like it, it's almost written in the stars. The amount of games where we thought we've got to lose playing this way and we've managed to win, you almost felt like at times this season you thought, well, maybe it's just destiny. And I, I guess that's probably as close as we've come to predicting being this close to promotion. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when you look back at the season, I mean, there've been game. We, we've we've done what every promoted side needs to do, and that's just find a way of winning games constantly throughout the season. We've just found ways of winning, and just even when we haven't been playing that well, we've we've kept winning, kept pick, picking up points. And yeah, earlier on in the season, we were like, we were we were talking about promotion, but in the sense like it. Is this actually possible? I'm not sure if anybody ever truly believed like we were going to go up. It, it's a season where the bubble has always felt like it was on the verge of bursting. And a couple of weeks ago, I think we were seriously considering that perhaps the bubble had burst. You know, it's not that long ago that we lost four games in a row without without scoring a goal. But in fairness, you know, since since we secured our playoff place. They've the players have rested. They've come back in full fitness, and they have proved that you know when they are fighting fit and when they do play with with energy and with focus, um, they're they're a seriously difficult team to play against and a match for pretty much anybody in this division on their day. It's crazy, Steve, isn't it? I mean, as Ghetto just said, there the the difference in 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 the feeling almost like um, and one thing that has been attributed. To uh, to Cooper throughout his time here is how he likes uh, when 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 he can turn the league into into tournament football. Where he obviously won the World Cup with the England under seventeens, and um, when we had come back from the uh, the the first lockdown last season, we had that mini patch of games whereby we picked up and suddenly we found ourselves racing into the playoffs on the final day in the most unlikeliest of circumstances, and and um, we we. Did, we very much didn't race into the playoffs this time. We, we stumbled over the line, where you know, with a draw against Red, and eventually mathematically confirming it. But uh, as Gitto said, the, the four defeats uh, leading up to it, and we had this podcast. We were just thinking, I can't see how we turn this around. But then the playoffs come, the rest comes, and 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 the players look revitalized. And 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 I guess the message from the top has got to be: it doesn't matter now. It's just three games. It's just three games, and we've done it for more than three games this season, where you just find a way. And, um, well, two down, one to go, Steve. Yeah, as you say, um, you can't mock it, really. I, I didn't think uh, the game was entirely convincing the other day, but, I mean, as Gitter was said, we um, we found ways to win, and that's what we've been very good at all season, probably not playing especially well, but keeping things tight and then managing to find the goal from somewhere. And, um, yeah, it seems to have worked for us. I mean, we, we didn't play great, I don't think, but um, we did enough. And I didn't think Barnsley were great either, though, to be honest with you. So, um, 
yeah, 90 minutes away now from what would be a very unlikely promotion. I think with what I'm seeing, Gitto, over the past two games is, is a return to um, what we were so good at earlier in the season, which was the clinical and also the defensive solidity. And for the past three, four months, I mean, I'm looking back to the likes of the, the Huddersfield away where we capitulated uh, in the second half. It's always felt like, right, we've lost that defensive edge, but we're still not scoring. We're not clinical anymore. And the season looked like it was going to implode on itself. But now, just in the last seven days, we seem to have found that uh, solidity again at the back. And um, <laughs> as uh, as uh, Ishmael said, the uh, the Barnsley manager, it just seems that Swansea scored in both games with their first and maybe only real attack, which which is something which we've been well, commended for through the season. It's just been able to do enough just to get the goal to, to, to keep the opposition at arm's length. How many times have we said that this season? You know, we we score just at the right time and just when we don't really look like scoring, but but it happens. I, I'm going to disagree with Stephen saying that it wasn't convincing. I thought actually, when when you when when you look at the Swansea game plan and the way Swansea play, I I think actually we've been very convincing over the last two games. I don't think anybody would look at the last two games and argue that the Barnsley uh, deserved anything more than they got. I think convincingly we were the superior side we we managed the game excellently i thought and even though it, it definitely wasn't pretty um it was a real slog um and you know there, there were we didn't create many chances other than the goals you know, we've said before we didn't we didn't really need to create any more chances than the goals. We had the goals, and then we backed ourselves to 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 just stop Barnsley from from doing anything. And um, I I just felt on on Saturday in that first half in particular, it looked like we had broken Barnsley's spirit. Like in the second half at Oakwell, they they really did throw everything at the Swans, and and the Swans of course held strong uh, and and held on for the one nil win. That that energy wasn't there from Barnsley on Saturday, and actually the Swans looked really comfortable. I thought um, even before scoring the goal, I thought Barnsley looked really just like they were out of ideas, like like they'd they they'd almost lost lost hope. Um, if I'm being honest, and the Swans, it, does, it goes back to to me. There's 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 you could look at it in 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 so many comparisons if you compare the. Uh... The goals, uh, the, the the Grimes goal versus the uh, the Leon Britton goal, but there's lots of comparisons with the Nottingham Forest semi-finals where we did deflate their spirit completely in the first leg, Gitto. Yeah, and uh, things like that. The, the first leg, it's never decided in the first leg, but you can do so much in that first leg to just decide the tie. And I think when, especially when you're the away team in the first leg, because the home games are so important in the playoffs. We've seen that time and time again. If you don't win your home games, or if you uh, rather if you lose your home games, then then you tend not to to make the final. And I think Barnsley knew that Oakwell was their best chance of a result. And the fact that they lost that match, I mean, after they had given everything, they tried their best that game. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it just wasn't, you know, they they just couldn't break down. So break down Swansea and when it came to the Liberty then that that belief that they had at Oakwell just wasn't there just it just wasn't there there was a little revival in the second half when they when they scored the goal but in all honesty I I was I, I they they never really looked like scoring apart from the goal which was the one moment of quality they they produced over both legs really um 
I thought I thought Swansea had done the damage in the first in the first leg, and the second leg was all about just seeing it through. And usually you'd say, well, a one goal you know lead isn't enough to take that kind of attitude. You you still need to go for it in the second leg. But this is Swansea. This is Steve Cooper Swansea, and one goal lead is usually enough. I mean, prior to this match, I think we'd only dropped seven points from winning positions all season, uh, which is the lowest in the in the championship. So if any team was going to sit back and protect a 1-0 lead uh, with relative comfort, it, it was us. I think what's more, even more impressive than only dropping seven points from winning positions is the vast majority of those points accrued would have been single goal uh, differences as well, Gitto. Um, there wouldn't be many there where we were 2 or 3-0 up and we, we, we kept the win. It was just 1-0 wins, 1-0 wins, just could not be beaten. And and, and, and we're seeing it, Steve, on, on social media again. Like I say, go back to earlier in the season where we were ugly but effective. Um, we're seeing the social media backlash, which we had... You know, uh, you know, around Christmas time, where people were just hoping for us to fail again, which it again it, it gives you that hope because it feels like right, this is that that such a successful team that we had earlier in the season at being ugly but getting the job done, and everyone hated it to watch, and 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 we seem to have <laughs> we seem to have uh, rounded up the troops again, who are all you know vying our downfall and and and, and pitting against us, but. Um, but it does. It is. There's, there's echoes of the season coming back to me now, as as, as you're just scanning through Twitter and Facebook of of rival fans just wishing the worst on us, which is something which I, I to be honest, I I quite missed over the last six weeks or so. Yeah, it's um, we're certainly not the most popular team, are we? I think it's certain that uh, Brentford are, are more the the media darlings um, than us. I mean, we're I think we've said it all season, really. We're we're not the most attractive. Uh, side on the eye but we are we're very good at getting the job done which is what we've done all season really and I think you know that I'd probably be saying a similar type of thing if I was a neutral I can't really um, argue with it but um, you know the fact is we've uh, we found another way haven't we to um, to win games not the way that we've necessarily uh, have wanted to but um, you know it's led us into this position now so you know, I think when you get to this stage, I mean, I, I've been fairly critical of our style of play because it's been crap at times. But at the same time, we're one game away now. And it, let's be honest, it doesn't really matter, does it? As long as we can get through the 90 minutes and do the job. But uh, even if it goes as far as penalties, then we've just got to take it, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We get to, I mean, win, lose or draw through this season. I, I found it very difficult to watch the highlights back on Quest to mainly because uh, ultimately I knew what was coming and it wasn't going to be a very entertaining affair. Um, but I had to watch them. Of course, you had to watch the, the, the semi-final highlights back. And uh, one, one, one comment in particular um, by Dean Ashton struck me, uh, which was that um, he backing us. He was backing us before a ball was kicked in the in the playoffs, but he's backing us now even more so to go on. And, 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 and to paraphrase him, he said that we've got, you know, we've got the tools. We're very, very clever. I think he used those words. And also that we've got the tools to spoil the game, to ruin the game as a spectacle, to completely take everything out of it and win it. And I think ultimately that is our that is our best chance, isn't it? We we don't want to go out and an and, and expansive game against the Brentford type. This is this is the sort of game where we've drawn against them twice this season, won all both times, which just points towards this crazy close affair that's going to come, but it is going to be a battle of the styles, and it's just whose game plan comes out on top. 
Yeah, and it, if we look back to Saturday's game again and the game at Oakwell, I mean, I, I said before both those games, I felt like actually the Swans were better placed to play against Barnsley than than, than either of the other teams in the in the in the playoffs because you know our style was suited to defending set pieces to punishing their poor defending from set pieces, and again we saw that on Saturday because we scored from a set piece which they failed to defend, um, one which was. Um, dubiously won by Wayne Routledge, I, I should say. There's no way that that should have been a free kick our way. It was definitely a foul on Helic. No, disagree. Let, he's, he's six foot six. He shouldn't be hauling Routledge to the ground like that. No, don't. I won't have a bad word listen, said about Wayne. Listen, after after the dive that got uh, Barnsley the free kick uh, to make it 2-all in the Millennium Stadium all those years ago, I think we were... Um, I think uh, we can say it's finally evened itself out. <laughs> we don't hold grudges, though, Gitto. I think it's important to point that out. <laughs> we, don't, we don't hold 15-year-old grudges, no. Um, but, it, but, like, yeah, we, we said, I said for the... Um, you know, before they started, you know, Barnsley very strong from attacking set pieces, um, but but we, we are the best in the league at defending set pieces. So and, and we cancelled them out there. I they rarely looked like a threat from set pieces, um, other than when they hit the crossbar in the first leg. Um, but then set, but then they're not as good at defending set pieces, and and we are decent at uh, when it comes to set pieces. And albeit, you know, Matt Grimes's goal. Let's face it, that, that wasn't your standard set-piece goal. That was a, just a moment of genius, really, for and the kind of moment of genius that you do associate with the playoffs, really. But again, Barnsley, they try to, you know, they, they make it scrappy. They try to um, force you into submission. They stop you from playing a passing game, etc. And their game is very much about kind of overwhelming the opposition and preventing them from playing and then forcing mistakes. That doesn't really work against a team that that takes so few risks as we do. We 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 don't try to pass it through midfield if we don't have to. We're quite happy to boot it long, play for territory, hit balls over the over the top, etc. And and actually, we outscrapped Barnsley, the the scrappiest side in the division. You know, and people seems, have raved about Barnsley's about the way Barnsley have played this season and, and the way they've made it difficult for the opposition, we made it difficult for Barnsley and they just could not get their, their style to work against us and it's it's going to be you know, I think against Brentford, that kind of approach is going to be less effective, I think we are going to have to be sharper with our passing I think we are we're going to have more time on the ball so we've we've got to make better use of it when, when we have possession um, but you know, there are a lot of things from the last two performances which which will cause problems for Brentford in the final as well. Well, there's there's a whole there's a, there's a catalogue you could open on, on on our opportunities against Brentford without being cocky, just just looking at it from 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 the outside in. Um, but uh, just to just to take it back to your earlier point about the 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 games against Barnsley, and you weren't um, you weren't able to make the last podcast. I'm I'm happy to just just quickly go back over the first leg as well. Um, where uh, in fact the the two goals we did score over the over the legs get two absolutely stunning goals. Um, the 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 second, which was uh, you know obviously I don't think anyone would argue the pick of the two, but the first one um, was so typical Andre, but also so naive. From the Barnsley defenders to 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 lower, allow allow him on his left. There, there were two bits of naivety in the first in the first one. Um, you know, ball over the top and Helic for some reasons trying to play him offside. He may have been doing it playing him offside, but you know it was a it was a needless risk really. And then yeah, let him inside, and then he he finds the the corner of the net. I mean, 
brilliant goal and again the kind of quality that that you associate with the playoffs really and um obviously uh, we saw the 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 passing accuracy steve over the first leg um but i found that um obviously i haven't watched all of Barnsley's games i've watched many of Barnsley's games i saw obviously the two we played against them in the season and that um and a few others and i always thought that whilst they weren't a, a footballing team i didn't think they were as bad as football as we see as we saw particularly in that first leg and um i guess i guess they aren't as bad as that normally because the pundits picked up on it and when they pointed out the 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 passing accuracy um it was it was barnsley that were they were criticized for that even though we had very similar figures um i guess to an extent people expected us to try and spoil the game but 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 argue that perhaps barnsley got involved in that scrap because um because they got nervous yeah, maybe. I mean, it did look as if, in some ways, in in that sense, we probably brought out the worst in each other. I mean, our stats were not certainly weren't great in um, in the first game. I mean, we're anyway, as much as we're not the the easy on the eye passing possession side of the past, I I don't think we're as bad as what the first leg suggested. Really, I mean, from a Barnsley point of view, um, obviously, I think that they, in general, that they have been like that. That's that, and that's been very successful for them, really, isn't it? They they can't complain um, in in that sense. I mean, to be fair to Barnsley, I mean they've they've been the surprise package, haven't they? But maybe they did just it was just a little bit too much for them because they. I mean, I, I know I said earlier Ian, that I didn't think we were convincing. This is but it's probably not true to an extent in terms of like we because Barnsley didn't threaten us as, as such. I just didn't think that we were brilliant ourselves. Certainly going forward, anyway, we were just good at sort of seeing the job. Um, through, but they obviously Barnsley did threaten a little bit, did score a nice goal against us, didn't they? So, you know, I think they they were just a little bit out of their depth. I, th- I think at the end is probably the best way that I would um, describe it. But the thing was, they, there wasn't really a lot of pressure on them, was there? Certainly after losing the first game, I mean, I think everybody expected us to get through, didn't they? When you talk, I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Gitto, about the stars aligning and, and you feeling like it's almost like uh, a destiny for us and, and the Barnsley choice of the four of the three options available to us would certainly be our most advantageous to um, to get into the final. It's hard to watch, as we have done, the, the 47 games now of the footballing season for the Swans and argue we're a Premier League team in waiting. I think... I don't want to be negative on this on this podcast. It's, I mean, it's just hard to make that argument that that we've um, that we're there, you know, on 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 a footballing merit to say, do you know what, we you know we're knocking on the door, we're bridging the gap, we're too good for this league. When whether we're going to be good enough for the next league, I mean, it's a conversation we would have had uh, ten years ago under Rogers and said, you know, we we we're ready, we're good enough. This is the year, this is the time. If we don't do it now, we'll never do it. But this feels like we've almost got there. Uh, we've won a lottery to to get here. I know the the, the defensive solidity has been laudable through the season. Uh, just just not necessarily being um, so easy on the eye potentially. But then you're looking at it and you're thinking. You, you you can't help but watch this way the Swans are playing and thinking. Well, actually, as as you mentioned earlier about it being uh, comfortable, it was a very 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 Swansea City performance over the two legs. Um, and if there was a moment which made you think that's really lit up the contest, it was that Ma- that Mac Rames goal, which was which was one of the few bits of absolute quality. Yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. I was really chuffed for Grimes as well because I think he is a player that doesn't really get the credit he deserves. I think he's been among our best players this season. 
Um, I after perhaps Roberts Gay and and maybe Ayu. Um, I I I think he's he's been our best player. Um, he's led by example. He's he does a bit of everything in midfield. You know, we in the past I think we, people have pointed a finger and maybe said that he's not you know tough enough. Doesn't you know not defensively solid enough. You you cannot argue that that point anymore. I mean he he is always. It's, you look at the stats; he puts in more tackles than almost any midfielder in the league. Um, he is absolutely everywhere. He is just a battler, but he's also got that little bit of quality in this game that that enables him to do things like that. And I, I, I just have no idea how he managed to sidestep the one player, which puts the ball on his right foot, and then the, within like a millisecond, he's curling the ball into the top corner with his left foot. I, I. I have no idea how he moved his feet so quickly to do that. Uh, it was just a, a moment of brilliance, just that kind of instinctive moment of genius that um, that, that great players that, that produce in these kind of moments. And you said there about, you know, the, the, uh, the, the fact that we're not a ready-made Premier League team. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, if you were to compare us with somebody like Brentford, you'd say Brentford are much more suited to just going straight up and and you know tackling the Premier League as they are right now but I think in Matt Grimes we've got a midfielder there who would actually is is one of the few players that I would confidently back to make that jump into um into into the Premier League into the Premier League and and you know feel and look at home at that level because I think he has been absolutely sensational this season and and he deserved that goal and a lot of people have made the point you know that there are major similarities between that goal and the one that Leon scored uh, mm. against um, Nottingham Forest uh, 10 years ago and it's um, you know it was great to see a, a real legend do it do it on that day and I think you know Matt Grimes deser- deserved that moment where where he's in the spotlight because he doesn't get that kind of attention he doesn't get the same kind of attention that others in the team get even though he's captain so it was nice that for a change he was the one that was uh, that was in the limelight and uh, making all the highlight reels We'll we'll talk we'll talk Matt Grimes here, Steve, because I think it's only fair. I've been I've been a very vocal critic of his, as 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 both you know on this podcast. Um, and earlier on in the season, I I, I was at a loss to understand what he was offering to the team, and I'll, I'll make no apology for for admitting and saying that there was a there was a spell of maybe two games where Cooper took him out to the firing line. And since then, I could probably count, well, not even on one hand, maybe on a couple of fingers, the amount of times I've thought that Grimes hasn't been one of the best two, three, four players on the pitch. And I think just that, I mean, he wasn't injured. Let's not, let's not make any bones about it. He was, he was dropped because maybe the Cooper wasn't, you know, just thinking he maybe could do with a couple of weeks just out just to reassess whatever and come back. And he's just... I mean, I do slightly disagree with Gitto that, like, through the whole season, he's been brilliant. I do think there was a massive dip early on, which which I think um, eventually was recognised. And I do feel like at that point then, when he came back into the team, he's a different player. And look at him now. I mean, when I talk earlier in the season about what does he contribute, Steve, this is a guy now who suddenly you wouldn't have you would you would risk nothing on Matt Grimes scoring earlier this season you would not risk anything because you would just think he ain't the goal scoring midfielder and now all of a sudden he's a semi-regular midfielding goal scorer he's got like four or five I mean considering like he had only scored one in three years before that you know you have to consider now that this is actually 
a real purple patch for him in, in, in what's been a great upturn in form. And he has, like Gitto said, been absolutely one of our most important players, particularly the second half of this season. Yeah, I think in terms of goal scoring, especially, it's been a big step up from him because that's been a big weakness, to be honest with you, isn't it? I mean, I think he's probably got more goals this season than in his entire Swans career put together. So that's definitely got to be a good thing. And a lot of them have been good goals. I mean, obviously, the goal the other day was great. Um, the first time hit at Rotherham, I think it was, that's probably the best goal he scored. I think he scored a nice one in the FA Cup against yeah. uh, Forest. Forest. So, mm. you know, that's, that's just a few off the top of my head. I do think what you're saying is right, I think dropping him probably wasn't necessarily a, a bad thing because I don't think he was playing particularly well and sometimes just taking a player out of the team for a bit can you know maybe take the pressure off slightly or it can provide a, a bit of a kick up the backside and I think that's what it may well have done for him so I think since then he, he has been um, a lot better really so yeah I'm, I'm full of praise for uh, for Grimes I, I think the, the players get to the end have, have been better they would be my Probably more, more, they deserve more of a shout for player of the year, but I do think Grimes has had a, a good season, to say the least. There are so many, Gitto, I mean, particularly in the defensive third. I mean, we'd, we'd be absolutely losing our mind if we didn't mention the defenders after the season we've had. Um, but is there, I mean, we could we could argue, you know, about Connor Roberts uh, being our player of the season. But if it isn't a shoot straight shootout between him and Mark Gehi, then I'm not understanding football anymore. Because... Um, Connor Roberts through the season is not only he just revitalised our attack, being probably a most a, a most creative attacking player from right back, and uh, and and Gehi is for me every bit a future inter- England international and playing at the top level. I I we've we've spoken enough about Gehi over this season. He is just something special. We've been lucky to get him back for this season because he's he's a Premier League defender playing in the Championship, and the fact I mean everybody's said it. But the fact that he and Cabango can put in that kind of performance as a double act on Saturday and in the first leg too, when both of them are just 20 years old, is is it, it beggars belief. I mean, the maturity, I, we've said it all season, they, they are wise beyond their years. They play with the maturity of players are 10 years older than them. They, they just look streetwise. They read the game sensationally well, but they've also got this youthful athleticism um, it, it's a, it's an incredible combination. They're, they're intelligent defenders. Um, they they are able to compete physically against the against teams like Barnsley. They, they're seriously seriously good defenders, and both of them are good enough to make that step up to the, to the Premier League. Um, the question is with Gay, is he going to be making it with us or with you know it, or going back to Chelsea? That's um, that's the question. But he, he's. I think he's been the the best player uh, over the last two games. He's really shown the rest of the league what we already knew, and that is that he is the best defender in this uh, in this division. And I actually don't think there's there's anybody else that comes close to it. We said it before. It's it's an absolute joke that he wasn't in the um, football uh, in the in the championship team of the season because no other centre backs in this division come close to him. You mentioned his maturity. Uh, Gitto, Steve, also after winning the second of two play, uh, Man of the Match awards over the playoffs, um, it's the humility as well of Mark Gehi, isn't it? He's just, he doesn't know how good he is. He just thinks he's, you know, he, he's too quick to point praise at everyone else. Um, and I just, we will talk about Brentford in shortly, but just to bring them in on this one, the con- the contrast between Gehi laughing in disbelief that he's one man of the match versus, you know, Ivan Tony, who uh, 
confidence or arrogance. It depends whether you're a Brentford fan or not, really. It's whether you think it's one or the other. Um, you know, where he, where he just talks about he never feels pressure and, he, he, you know, all that. And he never, you know, he's, he's never had a second doubt on himself, whatever. It's it's confidence, but also it borders in there. Just give a little bit of, give a little bit of, you know, blessing to, to the to the situation that he is in, perhaps, um, when he was interviewed post-match uh, of, their, of their second leg semi. And um, there's that side to Brentford, isn't there? And, and we're not the only ones to say it. We're not the only ones to think it. But there's a side to Brentford, which... And it does stem a little bit from their manager as well. There's that side which almost feels like they have that God-given right to be there and to make it. And I feel it again this season, as I did last. Comes from the manager. I think that's uh, pretty obvious. I mean, the, the signal he gave to the crowd before the game was like, we're going to win 3 nil. You're just thinking to yourself, Madness. why are you doing this? It's, and I found it absolutely hilarious when they conceded a ridiculous goal after five minutes and if I'm honest I was actually a little bit annoyed that they, they turned that round just because the man is so arrogant but um, yeah that Brentford for some reason they they seem to have this superiority uh, complex obviously they, they never really used to have it's almost like you know this is our time where we're going to do it we're a great side and everything like that it's like not being in the top flight for about 90 odd years I mean there's nobody no Brentford fan alive today that has seen them in there I mean Bit of humility goes uh, a long way, I would say, and um, yeah, they they have become uh, very arrogant. It's it's quite a shame because I, I did used to have a bit of uh, respect for Brentford. I'm I'm sure that uh, you know a lot of their fans are quite reasonable, but it's uh, unfortunately they've um, I think they've got a bit too big for their boots over um, you know recent times. They absolutely weren't this way, you know, back in the League One semi-finals, you know. 12, 15 years ago, whatever it was, um, Ghetto. Uh, I remember it well. It, it did have a soft spot. I had pretty much had a soft spot for them up until the last six weeks of last season when I suddenly realised <laughs> everyone else hated them and, and I found out why. Um, but um, it is that aspect to it, isn't it? I do feel like, like, let's talk about the second leg. I think, I think even though this is a Swans podcast, we are playing Brentford in the final. And let's talk about the second leg of Brentford Bournemouth, which the first half in particular, well, let's say the first half, the first hour in particular, get to add absolutely everything. Um, <laughs> it just wowed me as a spectacle. And and I think playoff semi-final second legs, as I said, um, I was saying to Steve on the podcast last week, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything like it in, in club football, international football or anything. I think because it's an accumulation of such a long time of a whole slog of a season and then you know exactly what you need to do over the next 90 minutes. And we saw that 90 minutes compressed even further into, let's even take it down to the first 10 minutes, Gitto, which was wild. It, it's just, it, it is the playoffs at its best. And we've seen a fantastic weekend of playoff action across all the leagues. But, but that, I think, was quite possibly my favourite match, even more than the, the Newport versus um, Forest Green match. I, th- I thought it was just brilliant to watch. If you are a neutral, which I pretty much was watching that, because even though I, you know, I, I, th- I thought I didn't want to play Bournemouth in the final just because our record against them is is abysmal and we never, ever do well against Bournemouth. But, but likewise, I didn't really want to see Thomas Frank happy. Nobody does. You know, that, it's, it's one of the worst sites in football. Um, but I mean, it's it was. Um, but it, the two of them together c- conspired to make this 
bonkers game of football. I mean, it, that the first goal, all you need to see is the first goal to see the the kind of the impact that the, the, the playoffs can have on just the psyche and it makes you act in different ways. And I think we've seen this with Brentford in the past where um, they 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 behave differently for the for the playoffs or for for the big games. And this, and, this is in this is in my catalogue of reasons. By the way, this what you're about to say is in well, my catalogue of reasons of hope. It's a small like crumb of hope to get you know going into the final. But I mean, what on earth a team is doing putting all of their play all of their outfield players in the final third for a corner in the first five minutes? I have no idea. If an under eight team did that on a park on a Sunday morning, you would give them a rollicking. You would tell them, what on earth are you doing? You don't understand football. It was bizarre. It, they, they lost their minds. Do and you know that what? Point, I cannot absolutely fathom, and this is what blows my mind, this wasn't a single moment of no. madness. Not four days earlier, they conceded an almost carbon copy goal where, um, who's their centre-half they got from Leeds? Oh. Pontus Janssen. Janssen. He had the ball as a centre-half. He had the ball in the corner, trying to flick an inside pass, into, and they lost it. And they conceded a counter-attack goal to the same team, to the same player, and, and, <laughs> four and days the, earlier. And the next corner that Brentford had after that, um, um, I think it was the next corner, after, after the, uh, the conceding the first goal, they, they were in a really similar position again. Again, everybody pushed up high, and you're thinking, do you... You know, are, are you mad? Is this like this? It was just kamikaze football, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the turning point that, that Brentford fair play to them, they got a penalty, um, straight away afterwards. No matter what Jonathan Woodgate says, that was a stonewall penalty every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have had more penalties in the game, if I'm being honest. For Jonathan I actually think Woodgate, the one that wasn't given was much more of a penalty. Oh, Jonathan Woodgate had the cheek to complain about the referee after that match. I, I, <laughs> the I just, one that wasn't given was definitely, I couldn't I couldn't see any oh, argument that it wasn't given. Unreal. But the big turning point was was Chris Meppham doing his former club a favour. And um, again, playoffs make make players do two strange things and but but the whole game it was just it was just mad it it was played at this frantic pace the the you know the players were um getting involved in all sorts of tussles time wasting playing games etc asma begovic i don't know what on earth he was on but he 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 was behaving like a lunatic throughout the match just just off his rocker and i it it just but but it made for this amazing spectacle, this really engaging spectacle that you could not take your eyes off. It was brilliant to watch. You know what? And this is, again, I'm dipping into my catalogue. Uh, Steve, this is what I feel like where the arrogance of Brentford has given potential for their undoing. And, and it, was ex- it was completely played out in the first 10 minutes of the second leg against Bournemouth, whereby... This superiority complex, as already mentioned, this feeling that they've got a God-given right to be there, and almost like Thomas Frank has got them too pumped up. He's got them too wildly go out on that pitch and just explode onto the pitch. And 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 and, and it, like concede that goal where you've got no one within sixty yards of your own goal from your own corner that early on is bonkers. And um, and quite often football can be a battle between heart over head, and whether you're gonna. You're going to play with passion and, and, and leave it all on the pitch. Or if you're just going to use your head and realise, I'm going to just be sensible here. And you just know a Steve Cooper team is always playing with their head. Always thinking, 
yeah, we could go out to WoW and try and blow the other team away, or we could stay in the game and be clinical when we create the opportunity. Cooper's done that all season, much to our disbelief that he's managed to pull it off time and time again. But there's going to be a battle here between um, a, 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 an explosion of passion from Brentford and, and a team that are going to use their heads. Yeah, I mean, it could well be, couldn't it? I mean, the, that explosion of passion, I mean, I'd say is you know, quite a risky strategy. I mean, it's the type of thing where you could blow somebody away or you could, you know, make mistakes that are going to cost you. I mean, let's be honest, Brentford were quite lucky, I would say, to get away with that the other day. I mean, I think if it wasn't for the red card, they may well have uh, not gone through. I mean, to to have gambled so much in the first five minutes is just absolutely staggering. I mean, I, I saw it happen earlier in the season. I think Man United played someone in the Champions League and they did it. I think it was a Turkish team. I, I, I just can't believe what I'm seeing. I mean, you know, it is literally worse than Park's football stuff. I mean, you'd be fuming if you're up minutes new with and your team conceded a goal like that. Just unbelievable. It's, it's honestly the type of goal you concede when you're chasing like hell in the last minute for a goal because yeah. you need one or you're, you're going out, basically. Well, well, Forrest did it effectively, didn't they, in the playoffs against us last time and then Pratt the end up scoring for the halfway line. But you do not do that after five minutes. So I, I honestly don't know what they were, they were thinking of. I mean, it's I, well, I'm saying it's not the type of thing we would do. But it, we came close to mind on uh, on Monday night last week. We were a little bit, uh, you know, we, we seemed to make mistakes, didn't we, from our own uh, set pieces? But um, yeah, it was. I think Brentford were genuinely a little bit lucky to get away with that. They they did play well after the red card. Don't get me wrong, but. I mean, they did give themselves a bit of a mountain to climb. And if it wasn't for that red card, they may well have not gone through. I uh, flip to the next page of my uh, catalogue, though, and say that um, Brentford and playoffs are not something that is a marriage made in heaven. And uh, Brentford and bottling is perhaps something that's a lot more uh, associated with one another. Both seasons, uh, both of the last two seasons, there's strong arguments to be made that Brentford should have gone up automatically. And in both seasons, over the last six weeks... The results just fell away when at the crucial moment the results fell away. In fact, last season even more so because they'd been battling to get into the top two. And the moment they did, or the moment they had the opportunity to clinch it, they 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 bottled it. And again, again this season, the results just weren't impressive over the last month or so. And um and it's left them in a playoff battle again. Nerves, pressure. Do they have the bottle that it takes to come through the, the biggest prize in football? It, it's got to play on their minds because I mean la- last season it was it was pretty spectacular. I mean they they should have gone up automatically. Really, they put themselves in a great position, and just as it was, you know, in their own hands, they they lost the final two games of the season, um, and you know <laughs> ended up in the playoffs, um, and then of course they made it to the playoff final, but they but they totally froze in the playoff final. Um, but one you know encouraging sign is that Fulham actually. Um, kind of played the Swansea way in the sense that they, the Fulham last season were a pretty cautious team. They didn't take too many risks. Um, they definitely didn't leave too much space at the back for for Brentford to expose. And Brentford, uh, Brentford didn't turn up either. You know, and they they just they just crumbled under pressure and lost um, and lost in the end. Um, and um, it's it's got to be playing on their mind. They're going back to to the scene of of that disaster last season. They 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 will feel again this year the same way as they did last year. Like they should be going up. Um, and and in fairness, I think if you were to look at it on paper and generally over the course of the season, Brentford 
are a better team than, than Swansea. I think that that's a fair comment. Um, but the better team over the entire season doesn't always win in the playoff final. Uh, and it is all about who turns up for the big occasion, who has that big game mentality. And I think time and time again, uh, we've seen Brentford's big game mentality show itself to be quite quite weak. Um, you know, that that's not to say, you know, that they, they may have learned their, from their mistakes. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out on Saturday. But this is a club which has a track record. No, no team has been in the playoffs more times than Brentford without going up. I think it's 10 times now they've been in the playoffs uh, and, and have so far failed to gain promotion once. Um, they, you know, they, they just have this habit. Uh, and, you know, fans can argue how, mu- how much, you know, how much historic results have a bearing on on what happens in the here and now, but it must be playing on their minds. I mean, a lot of these players are the same ones that were there last season. They they will either come out knowing that they you know are, are just super determined to make amends for what happened last year, or they'll come out with that little little voice in the back of their head reminding them that this is where it all went wrong last time and and putting a bit of fear into them. We'll we'll have to wait and see, but there is definitely a possibility that um history repeats itself and they, they kind of freeze on the on the biggest stage. Yeah, um well let's look at the head to head. Um throughout history, Steve, it's been quite um even. This is quite even. Brentford have beaten us 32 times and we've beaten them 34 times with 24 draws. So it is very close. And, and But over the last uh, more recent history, there was a period where they lost to us seven times in a row. But in the last 20 years, we've won 10 times and they've won four. We've not had um, a, a terrible record against them in our time following the Swans, far from it. And, and, and more so that this season, this season... We, they should have beaten us twice, and twice they only managed a draw. And I think for that, we talk about bottle, we talk about mentality, that's going to play on their minds, whether they like it or not. The fact that they can look really earlier in the season and think, well, if we do that again, but they just could not see it out against us. Maybe, but you could also turn it another way and say that it is one win for us in the last six. So that's not great, is it really? I mean, obviously, like you say, we had two draws against them this season. I would say the game at home, we were very, very lucky to get a draw because they battered us up there. We could have won. It was a fairly evenish game. Obviously, we had that chance in the last minute that was ruled out, didn't we? Um, and then last season, they doubled us in the league and obviously they, we did beat them in the home leg of the playoffs, but they beat us in the away one. So, mm. yeah, we've our record against them, it's, it's not great. We... We probably had better results against them than maybe we deserved, I would say, in the last uh, since Steve Cooper's been here. But if we're being honest, I mean, we're we're not the favourites going into this game. Uh, I I really can't uh, stress that enough. Um, I'm not saying that we're not going to win. There is a reasonable chance that we will, but at the same time, I think they they should beat us. They are a better side than us, and I do think they'll as much as they are arrogant. I can understand they'll, they'll feel confident that they can do the job. Although, of course, as you say, this season they, they didn't manage to uh, beat us, even though especially in the the game at the Liberty, they uh, they dominated. Are you mentally and psychologically prepared, Gitto, for the uh, for the pre-match build-up of um, Brentford's promotion party? 
um, which you'll no doubt see on on Sky as as the weekend draws closer. Um, for me, I can't I can't think of anything better to 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 write our team talk than to to see the um the media loving which which we which we saw last year. Yeah, uh, I mean. Thomas Frank writes the opposition's um, pre-match team talks, doesn't he? He is he is the kind of manager who I think if if he was at your club, I think you would love him. I think Brent's he's the Luis match. Suarez, isn't he, of of managers? He is without the biting and the racism. Um, he is he is just um, he, he's you know he's 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 the he's the kind of guy that you love if he's on your side and you absolutely hate if he's on the opposition because he's so super confident he is so cocky um and in fairness you know you can argue he's a very good manager he gets mm. Brentford playing excellent football um he's he's done brilliantly there the only thing he's failed to do is just do that make that extra step up to the premier league um that that's the one thing that's been missing is that he hasn't been able to seal the deal um, after after you know what is now I think two and a half great seasons at um, uh, at Brentford, um, but he I I can tell that he's going to be you know just saying the usual stuff in the in the press. If he doesn't, I would be amazingly surprised if he shows even like the the a modest modicum of humility. Like I he is going to be very confident. He, he is going to be before last up. season's playoffs, which I found very interesting and almost reverse mind games. Where he where he just decided a few days before playoffs to just to really ham and, up how brilliant the Swans are and how but, great friends he is with Steve Cooper and I thought, well, who's this guy? Because this isn't the manager we just played against. But then of course the Swans beat them and he went in totally the opposite direction. I guess, <laughs> and I think um, and I think that's you know I I think I'd be surprised if he doesn't go down that same route again. Um, you never know; he may surprise us, but it would be very un Thomas Frank if he was to keep a low profile this week and um you know play down his his uh, his team's chances you know like the way there was kind of an argument between Barnsley and Swansea over who the underdog was uh-huh. you'll never get Thomas Frank I think admitting that his team is the underdog you know he'll always tell his team that they're the better team and that they are the ones you know who should go out and win that's how he coaches his team which is admirable in a lot of ways but with Thomas Frank, you get a lot of add-ons too, which um, which rub the opposition up the wrong way, definitely. But the one thing I'll say about him, he's entertaining. He definitely adds spice to matches. And, you know, you don't need extra spice before a playoff final, but he's going to give it to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, maybe I'm an ostricher, Steve, with my head in the sand, but I can't believe he's not been uh, courted more by bigger clubs. Um, I, I hit the fella, and we all do, but um, there's no arguing that he's, Turn Brentford into a a real powerhouse in this division, and uh, we'll we'll go into future seasons if they don't win at beat us, they'll go in again as as touted as the top two contenders because he's just the the, the whole model there is is a phenomenal one, but also the the football they play is just so easy on the eye. Yeah, I think if they were to um, not go up this time, then there is a chance maybe somebody will will look at him. I mean, like you said, they. They've done very well over the last eighteen months or so, and and they do it in the with a nice style of play. So I mean, it would be understandable, wouldn't it, if um, someone was interested in taking Thomas Frank? I mean, it's happened to Brentford a few times, and Dean Smith obviously was there before him, and and Villa uh, poached him, and I think a few years back um, they had, well actually they, they didn't uh, with Mark Warburton, but they found a good manager there, and they decided to um, boot him out, which is all a, a little bit strange. 
um, at the time. But Brentford do, like I said, they, they have had a lot of success, haven't they, in recent years, really overachieving because they're, you know, they've got a lot of other clubs in their neck of the woods and they've, they've never been the biggest, but um, done well in that sense. And as you say, Frank could easily be um, touted for for other clubs, couldn't he? He's, he's done a great job, even if he is uh, an awful bloke. <laughs> right, and turning to the last page of my catalogue of Hope Biegato, um, and it is that this season, despite Brentford being the media darlings, despite having the runaway top goal scorer in the league and being attackingly fluent and uh, fluid, sorry, and um, entertaining, uh, they finished 20 goals better than this goal difference, but crucially, only seven points better than us. And for me, I'm drawing the conclusion that. Brentford play well most of the time, but if they have an off day, they can lose, and they do lose, and they very much struggle to get the result over the line if they're not firing on all cylinders. Swans have managed to win consistently this season when we simply haven't been up the races, and for me, it's being able to do it when you haven't exactly got everything going for you, which gives us that little bit of hope going into the final. Yeah, I mean, Brentford have this thing as as if you need another reason to to dislike Thomas Frank. Um, you know what what most people would refer to as the XG table or the expected goals table. They refer to it as the Justice League, um, and they are <laughs> top of the Justice League, of course. Um, so they, you know, they they sense that you know that's the true reflection of of their performances. In actual fact, when you look back over the season, you know there have been a number of games this season where. Um, they've they've not turned up and not performed to the best of their abilities. And like you said, when they don't do that, then they leave the door open for the opposition because they are quite an open team as well. They they're not they they it, they're a team that very rarely kind of sits back and 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 holds on to a lead. They'll always go for it. It makes for fantastic football. More often than not, it'll work because they have these fantastic players. But they'll always give you a chance. You know, the, if if you are on your game and can, you know, just catch out their defence, then then, you know, there are there are weaknesses there to expose. And I don't think I'm not sure if the, if this Brentford team is better than the one they had last season when they had um the likes of Watkins and Ben Rama there. I mean Belmore's in fantastic form at the moment. Tony is is, is phenomenal and has been all season. Um and, and, you know, they've got a great midfield, the likes of uh, Jensen in midfield, Jan Elt. They've had, brilliant, they've had a brilliant season, but they're, they're missing one or two players. Uh, I think Rico Henry is going to be out, to, who's, who's always fantastic when he plays against us. Um, they're missing uh, De Silva in midfield, who's one of their better players as well. I, I think, you know, they, they are, I think, quite reliant on, on one or two players for attacking, for, for that real attacking flair and penetration, you know, and um, it, it'll all, you know, the Swans did a, a fantastic number on, on Barnsley's attacking players, but they go, they're facing a, a, an attack that is a cut above in, in, in Brentford. But if they can play the way they did against Barnsley, then they've got a chance of keeping the likes of, of Tony and Mbomo quiet, but they're very different players as well. I mean, you know, and Burma in particular. They're not going to lump balls up to no. Tony like they did with uh, DK, are they? And that's where Cabango was so dominant against the likes of DK, whereby he's going to have a very good footballer in Tony who's going to try and take it round him as well. 
I think I think with Brentford they can vary their play much more. Brent, but Barnsley just didn't. Actually, the one time that they did hurt this was when they got the ball on the floor, and and mm-hmm. I think. Barnsley will actually look back at that match with a sense of regret that they didn't play more football um, because that was how they were going to to beat us. And that's my concern with Brentford is that, um, you know, they, they'll be moving the ball much quicker uh, and they'll be moving it more on the floor. And that that's going to be more difficult for our defenders to play against, I think. Um, Bidwell's going to have a, a really tough contest on that on that left wing against Mbomo, who's been in fantastic form. He's quick. He goes past players and he's got a, and he's got a, an end product as well um that nah, that'll be what... like um it'll be like Alan Tate versus Jimmy Kirby it'll just give him 10 yards and <laughs> he won't know what to do with his feet then he'll Hopefully. just not have a clue <laughs> Hopefully, but it's you know that that's going to be the danger and that's what we've got to be aware of with um with Brentford I think yeah absolutely um look we can't not talk about the game in itself Steve um, I don't. I think we're all in agreement that our best hope is that it turns into a bit of a scrappy affair, a lot of free kicks, a lot of ref stoppages and stuff. Um, and Brentford will absolutely want to keep the ball in play and, and move in as quickly and often as possible. Um, how do you see it playing out? And do you think it's going to be a fast and furious affair or a tense and nervy one? I really don't know is the um, honest answer. I I think in this game, I've, I've got to say that the first goal is enormous, purely because I think we're we're very good at seeing games out, but I don't think we're very good at chasing. So whoever scores first is very likely to win, I would think. Um, so you you just don't know. I mean, it, playing at Wembley can can do funny things to. I mean, Brentford obviously had that experience last year. They didn't really shine on. On a day, especially they they may want to go there and right the wrongs of that. I mean, how are our players going to going to fare there? I mean, it's going to be the biggest game for the, in the in the career of nearly every player in that squad. There'll only be maybe the likes of AU who've um, he's played in a World Cup, obviously that that would have played in a, a bigger game. So you just don't know how our lads going to deal with it. I mean, they they could embrace it, or again, they, they, we may not bring our best game to the table. It's it it, it is a difficult one. I mean, I. As you say, I mean, if we make it into a scrappy affair, then that probably does benefit us more than Brentford. But I mean, if if Brentford can let their football do the talking, it's going to be very difficult for us. But um, it's these games that they're, they're funny ones. You you really just uh, don't know. I mean, there's been some crazy games in finals before. I mean, our, our final against Reading is uh, obviously a, a great example. Nobody would have really foreseen how that was going to turn out. So um, yeah, it's. It's you just don't know. It's on the day. In theory, anything can happen, can't it? Yeah. Um. There's there's nice problems for Cooper to have, but I don't think there's any sort of problem that's a nice one when you look staring down the barrel of a playoff final. Ghetto. Um. Interesting. We were talking uh, just before we started recording about maybe six weeks ago, particularly off the back of the the four defeats, saying, "Well, actually, promotion might be." Dreadful. We might actually break Derby's record for points if we did get promoted to the Premier League. However, I will put a go on record to say now that we're here, I absolutely want nothing more than us to beat Brentford because it, the idea of the opposite happening is sickening and, and actually makes me feel physically sick. <laughs> so to get there and, and to be able to have the opportunity to do it, um, we did talk about the word uh, about destiny and stuff like that. Um, the Cooper problem of course, uh, where we talk about where we want to turn it scrappy and we want to be tight at the back. 
Cooper's changed his formation twice since he's been Swans manager. The first time was an injury crisis, and the second time was off the back of four defeats. Um, now, do you, and we discussed this a few weeks ago, do you stick with the more recent, the 4-3-3 that have been adopted now where we've got three men up top uh, against Brentford on that big, vast Wembley pitch? Do you revert to the 5-3-2? Uh, or the three five two, depending on which way you look at it, and and then you've got the personnel questions as well. You've got the question, the age old question of Conor Horahan, the man who might be a complete passenger all game, but then might put the ball twenty five yards out on a set piece and do the one thing that you need to do to make the difference. Is there are so many questions to be answered, aren't there? I, I think I I think formation wise I'd be amazed if um, Cooper changes it at this stage. I think the time to change the formation was if he was going to do it at all was before Barnsley. Um, but it feels like I think Cooper's the kind of manager that thinks you know once it once a team is comfortable in the formation you stick with that formation you don't chop and change and and you know get get he he likes that consistency I think and working on the formation until it um, until it works. Uh, and I think that's what he feels he's doing now with the current um, with the current setup. Um, I mean, personnel-wise, I, I don't see him changing much from from the Barnsley um, from the Barnsley win. I, I I think he's gonna pretty much stick with with what we've done. I think defensively, you struggle to argue that really. The question is, Routledge is unfortunately unlikely to play you'd think I mean his injury looked quite nasty uh, and you just hope that it's not career ending for him at his age um, I, it's a shame because I actually thought he did a good job against Barnsley I wasn't quite sure how we would go but I thought he did a really good job against Barnsley um, but I, I think this is a game for Conor Roberts I think Brentford are there to be caught on the counter attack um, Roberts has got that speed I'd, I'd Pick him as, as in the front line, Gitto. In the front line, I, I'd keep Norton where he is. He's been playing well recently, and I think we do need that defensive solidity against uh, uh, against a team like Brentford. You have to keep that back four disciplined and, um, and and together at the back, and not have players drifting out of position. And there's no point in asking Conor, Conor Roberts could do that job, but there's no point in asking him to do that because he is an attacking fullback first and foremost. Um, so I I think. You know, we don't have many natural wingers. We don't have too many attacking options. Cullen could play in that role, definitely. He played against Barnsley. I, I, I think, though, we'd get more out of this game with the speed of Roberts and the, and the just the energy of Roberts um, up front. Uh, it's not his natural position. It's not his best position, but I think he can do a decent job there, and I think he can cause problems for Brentford there. That's the only change that I would probably make. I actually thought Horan had a better game in the second half against Barnsley than we've seen him have for a while. I thought he was more involved in the build-up. Still not, you know, show-stopping mm. by any means. Um, but I thought, actually, he was better um, in, in, in that second match than we've seen him for a while. I'd keep him in there. I'm not expecting fireworks from him, but but he has got that capacity. Like we saw, actually, in the in the game of the Liberty against Brentford earlier on the season. So I'd keep him there. I, so in that, in that sense, I think the only question probably on Cooper's mind is who replaces Routledge. Yeah, I'll go back to the Hurahan thing. I mean, from what Villa fans are saying when we when we signed him on loan, he's 
he seems very much to be a big game player, Steve. I mean, he, he, he turns up on the big occasions and he did for, 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 for Arsenal Villa and, and obviously talk about the, the free kick um, he scored against uh, Brentford um, earlier in the season. And you, you do think uh, when, when the chips are down, I can't, as I said to you a couple of weeks ago or last week, I can't believe how few free kicks we've had around the edge of the area since we've signed a, a free kick taker. It's quite phenomenal, really. But... Um, you know, it could be come at the hour, come at the man. He, he could just have one of those games where, you know, when the pressure's on, he steps up and takes the ball by the horns. And as Gitto said, you know, the loss of Routledge, you know, sometimes it's the experience, the knowledge, the, the being there, done that, the, those sorts of players that'll, um, that can help. And he'll be a massive loss. Um, and if we do stick with the 4-3-3, you've got uh, AU low. And if we do go with Roberts, then you do have the likes of Cullen and Whitaker. Uh, as options, if you need to throw, you know, throw the kitchen sink later on or whatever, um, it, it puts us in a bit of a more uh, fluid op- opportunity, maybe to change things if we need to. Not that not that Cooper's renowned for doing so, um, but apart from that, do you agree with with Gitto's assessment of how we're likely to set up? Yeah, I think he, he could be right, um, but I, I honestly wouldn't be too shocked, mind, if we did go to a five at the back. I just think with that Routledge injury. Like I said, the fact that Roberts did come on from the other day, I I think we might go down that route because it is. I think we obviously we did pick the likes of Cabango and Gray to deal with Barnsley's threat. I, I think he could change it, mind. I think we could well see a five at the back of Roberts bring back. We, we may even see Bennett come in for Norton. That wouldn't be a huge shock from my point of view either. I mean, I, I you know, is he going to start Cullen in a playoff final? I I'm really not convinced that he is. So. That does mean that Roberts probably is the most likely one to come in. I can't really see Whittaker coming in either. So, yeah, I'm, I I disagree with Gitto. I, I think he might go to a five at the back. It certainly would put the cat among the pigeons, Gitto, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd have to think that the next three or four days, Brentford in training are going to be planning for a 4-3-3 team to come up against, uh, with the 5-3-2 being something of an afterthought. And... Uh, if he turns up in an hour before kickoff, he gets a team sheet, <laughs> which looks vastly different to one he was expecting. Um, yeah, he'll ask a couple of questions at least. Yeah, I mean, it would be a very brave move by Cooper to to do that. I, I could see the sense in it, definitely, because, um, you know, we we frustrated Brentford earlier on the season playing that kind of uh, formation. It, it's a formation that can catch them on the break. It would make sense, but I... I don't know. I get the feeling that Cooper's going to stick with, you know, with with the with what what we've been you doing now and building on over the past few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I'd be too surprised either way because yes, there's 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 merit in both. Um, final thought of the podcast is the return of fans to the stadium. Some three thousand fans were lucky enough to get tickets for the second leg against. Barnsley. I well, we were in the pub, Steve. We didn't really um, hear the crowd, but that was because there was a lot of pub atmosphere. But from what I've read and what I've seen of the highlights, whatever, it was deceptively loud considering the limited numbers, and that it was um, it was a great occasion for all concerned, which is which is brilliant to hear. And um, and it was obviously calls in you know before the game because Brent uh, Barnsley was able to create such an atmosphere there. Um, that we needed to match it, and 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 credit to all who went and and made the noise and the racket they did to get the Swans over the line. Yeah, I mean it was. Uh, I was quite torn about it in the end. I decided not to go into the ballot, and um, 
regard of those that did go in enjoyed and if they, they say the atmosphere was good I, I can't comment because uh, where we were the uh, you know the sound wasn't very loud on the TV so you can't really comment on it then but um, yeah I mean it, it probably did give the players a bit of a lift I mean having been you know, whether it wasn't even that loud or not when you think about it just the thing of having a crowd there a natural sound rather than you know what we've been used to all season I think it, it probably inevitably would make a difference um, so yeah, I mean, we'll have to hope for the same on um, on Saturday. And obviously, there's a uh, there's a lot of furore at the moment, isn't there, over the you know pretty abysmal mm. uh, ticket allocation that we've been given. Yeah, let's address that elephant in the room, Gitto. Um, less than four thousand tickets each in a ninety thousand seater stadium. Uh, I don't care uh, what uh, for science they're using to justify that. It's massive overkill, absolutely massive overkill. You could, you know, you could talk twenty five percent capacity and double the attendance, um, and it, you'd still be absolutely miles away from other fans. <laughs> it's just ludicrous uh, to rub salt in the wound and add insult to injury. Um, last week or the week before last, they played with uh, twenty two thousand fans at the FA Cup final, and they were trying to get exactly the same number of fans in for a Champions League final, which would be happening on the same bloody night <laughs> as our playoff final. So let's not talk about the roadmap to lockdown easing and shit like that. This was going to be the same day. It's a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. It's an insult to the teams that have got this far. I don't get it. I mean. There were people, there were Swansea fans questioning why we only had 3,000 fans at the Liberty, whereas, you know, Barnsley were allowed to have 4,000 and I think there were 10,000 at the Stadium of Light, etc. The, the obvious answer to that is that in Wales, obviously, we haven't had test events. The government needs to make sure that everything's safe and go through these procedures before it can start opening up a bit more. There is a process that you have to go through with these kind of things, yada, yada, yada. And that's why we we're further. Well, England are just further ahead down that line when it comes to getting sports back to normal. So that explains why you know, uh, like it or not, that that was the situation with um, with, with tickets for the for the semi-finals. I mean, I, I don't see how how uh, how how it explains the the disparity between the events such as the FA Cup final and, and the, the, the championship playoff final. I mean, they've had their test events, they've they've had their big bigger crowds there. What's the reasoning then behind going back to a smaller crowd? It doesn't make sense as far as I can see. And I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I, I know it's very late in the day now, but with uh, Swansea and Barnsley pushing politicians involved, etc., I wouldn't be surprised if um, that the EFL and Wembley turned around uh, and said, "Actually, you know what? We'll, you know, this th- it makes sense. We can we can accommodate more fans, and we'll see something closer to to the FA Cup final attendance." There, um, I I just don't see what I just don't see the reasoning against it. I'll be honest. I think this feels like something that was planned way in advance, and it hasn't been adjusted for changing circumstances. Yeah. And, and obviously the the, hit, the the road bump we're going to hit with this suggestion of Gitto's Steve is is the the the, the test event was done you know getting uh, proof of a negative test before the before the game and we're talking you know what we like four four or five days before the playoff final now the the 
scenario in which we'd have to get 10,000 Swans fans and 10,000 Brentford fans tested, proven negative, and up to Wembley and etc. In, in four or five days seems, uh, you know, at best a stretch. And that's if they approve it now while we're chatting. Um, so there would have to be some leeway on or compromise between the numbers that go and and the 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 need for a negative test beforehand maybe a maybe a happy medium of saying look okay we can't allow 10,000 because for those sorts of numbers we really do need a negative test but we could allow 6,000 from each supporters group and at least you know it gives a few more fans a few more season ticket holders a few more uh, long suffering supporters an opportunity to attend um there's got to be a happy medium because it feels like under 4,000 is a bit of an insult. Well, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, as you say, um, you can't argue with the fact that the FA Cup final had twice as many fans at it. So why can't we have, um, you know, similar numbers? That's all we're asking for, really. We, we'd love a full house when we obviously, I mean, it'd be great to take 40,000 like we did 10 years ago, but we know it's not realistic. But, you know, we, it's not fair, is it, that when only allowed just under 4,000 fans as as uh, things stand. When you look at the FA Cup final where each club did get more and, um, you know, the, the, it is just ridiculous, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, the whole thing is getting very frustrating now with various different rules and you're allowed to do some things and not others. Like the fact that, you know, we we can go, but we've got to space out by one metre, even though it's outside, but we could hire a table in the pub between six of us and sit there without a mask. When you think of it like that, it's all getting just a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, you don't sit there with your mask either. You know, you get up when you're going with your mask. You don't have to wear it if you're sitting down, uh, which is, you know, as much as I'm happy for that to be, you know, there, it's ludicrous that actual outdoor in the fresh air sporting events are punished to the degree that they are. Um, I did say, by the way, there is a there is a petition online at the moment, which has already garnered thousands and thousands of of uh, signatures. Um, let, get your name on it, lobby and pressure. Uh, as as Gitto said, there's already been a letter written. Uh, we can only hope that there's some sort of compromise, and there's rumours perhaps that there's around 750 tickets each going to be released extra on top, which will take us just over four and a half thousand fans each. Let's hope that that pushes for more and more and more and we can get, um, you know, a half-decent support there because the stadium is so huge. They'd be lost. You'd be lost if it was so few fans. That would be a shame. Um, I did say this was the last part of the podcast, but I do have to go back on that and say, um, gents, a massive congratulations to Newport as well, who were there um, in what Gitto was uh, an incredible (laughs) second leg tie for them as well. All right, fair play to them. They are a club that just turns up for the big occasion. They made it hard for themselves in that second leg. They should have been out of sight in the first leg. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that was amazing entertainment on, on Sunday evening. And um, there there is a chance that with Wrexham mm. uh, looking you know, like they could make the playoffs as well, there is an outside chance that next season we could have a Welsh team in the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two, which... Um, which which would be pretty incredible. Um, I mean, for for Newport Coat themselves, I I think you know there was a there was a little bit of a debate on Twitter um, when the match was on. A couple of Swans fans not getting why other Swans fans were um, supporting Newport, um, and a lot of them referencing that FA Cup match uh, yeah. in two thousand six. Mm. I was at that FA Cup match. It was rancid. It was awful. And and Newport 
embarrassed themselves both on and off the pitch. It was a, it was a disgrace, if I'm being honest. Um, but I've been back to Newport a couple of times since then to watch football. The club has changed massively. It, it's transformed, if I'm being honest. It's a proper family club now. Um, and, and there's a lot to admire both on and off the pitch. And um, I think, you know, they've been building up to a promotion for a number of years now. They haven't had everything their way this season. A lot of, you know, their, their season was disrupted with players leaving, etc. midway through uh, the season. But hopefully now they are um, building up to something. And um, just imagine the scenes if uh, Kevin Ellison was able to score at Wembley wow. against his former club. Imagine those scenes. I mean, it, it would just be so Newport County to, to well, we, provide we, we that spectacle. About, we talk about destiny and fate, Gitto, when it relates to the Swans. But, I mean, the, the, that's a story just writes itself, doesn't it? I, I mean, 42 years old, the oldest scorer ever in the playoffs. And now he's going to be playing against his former side, who he has a lot of beef with. Brilliant. You you can't beat the playoffs. You just can't. Yeah. Get out the popcorn. And I certainly won't be eating the popcorn for the Swans game. We'll be far too nervous for that. But um, that's just about it from us. I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction, gents. That would be cruel and unfair. Um, we just got to hope that everything goes and, and what we believe and hope in that destiny and fate has just played its card this season for us. And against all odds and against all our better judgment that Swansea City come Sunday or Saturday evening even will be a Premier League team again. And what that means for August and beyond is something we can discuss in the season wrap-up podcast. But um, but for now, there's only one thing, isn't it, Gitto? And it is win however you can at all costs. It's a must-win. I hope uh, that we win... Uh, whether it is a controversial offside handball goal in the last minute that makes Thomas Frank's head explode on the touchline. However it is, uh, it just needs to be a Swans win. Simple as that. Well, from myself, Steve and Ghetto, roar on the boys, whether you're watching it from home. If you're lucky enough to go to Wembley, just enjoy the day as best you can. I know it's almost impossible to do so. But here it is, fingers crossed, roll on Saturday, and let's hope for the dream. From myself, Gitto and Steve, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.